Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Today I'm talking about the plague of non-judgmentalism. Now, some time ago I saw an essay by Jean Vith titled Class, Children, and the Social Costs of Non-Judgmentalism. And his title and the essay itself is based on a book, a new book by Robert Putnam called, quote, A Very Important Social Scientist. And his book, published in 2015, was called Our Kids, the American Dream in Crisis. And the Putnam book deals in part with what happens to a society that refuses to hold anyone to a moral standard. The collapse of moral standards, which happens in the face of unwillingness to call out bad behavior or to set expectations for good behavior, is causing a crisis among families, according to Putnam, the social scientist. We do feel sympathy for latchkey kids or abused kids or families that split, or a drug culture that ruins lives. But New York Times columnist um, reviewed Putnam's book. David Brooks said in his opinion about Putnam's book, Our Kids, quote, but it's increasingly clear that sympathy is not enough. It's not only money and better policy that are missing, it's norms. The health of a society is primarily determined by the habits and virtues of its citizens. In many parts of America, there are no minimally agreed upon standards for what it means to be a father. There are no basic codes or rules woven into daily life, which people can absorb and follow automatically. Reintroducing norms will require first a moral vocabulary. These norms weren't destroyed because of people with bad values. They were destroyed by a plague of non-judgmentalism, which refused to assert that one way of behaving was better than another. People got out of the habit of setting standards or even understanding how they were set. That quote was from New York Times columnist David Brooks, um, reviewing Putnam's book, Our Kids. Now, I'm familiar with Robert Putnam's work, um, very most notably his 2001 book called Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. And based on that book, I referenced it um, in my blog essay some years ago called Churching Alone, The Collapse of American Churches. And back then I had written about the lack of a thriving biblical presence in communities, the Christian parallel to what Putnam had been saying about the collapse of civic responsibility. But his 2015 book, his follow-up called Our Kids, actually touches on Christian relativism, the judge-not mentality, um, insightfully, although unknowingly, I don't think, Putnam is a Christian, but there is a cost to relativism that affects not only secular society, but the biblical church. 
And let's see from the Bible what the cost to the church is when it sinks into non-judgmentalism. You know, the judge not crowd. Now we see that clearly in the letter from Jesus to the church at Thyatira. The church there had refused to set moral biblical standards. Jesus was angry that they were tolerating sin. They were too tolerant, just like the judge not crowd that screeches at the Christian who attempts to set a standard of morality. We all know that Jesus did not mean for judge not to become a cover for their own immoral behavior. The church at Thyatira was, was commended for being loving and being faithful and having a service-oriented attitude, and for their perseverance. I mean, they were the only church in Revelation praised in such a wide range of attitudes. You see that in Revelation 2, 18 to 19. But there was a problem, and the problem was they were tolerating a false prophetess. They were tolerant. This false prophetess, whom Jesus metaphorically referred to as a Jezebel, was declared to be leading Thyatirans to idolatry and apostasy and infidelity of the Lord. So being busy and serving and loving and persevering is not enough if sin is allowed to take hold. And the situation was so serious, Jesus promised that unless the Jezebel false prophetess repented and her followers repented with her, he would throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, he would throw into tribulation, and he will strike her children dead. Revelation 2, 20 to 23. That is how seriously Jesus takes sin in the church. So we see tolerant love is no love at all, if it includes allowing false wolves to lead people away from Jesus. Within the church, failure to set a moral standard based on his word brings death, either through the wages of sin or direct intervention from Jesus. And outside the church, even secular people wonder about the long-term effects of a lack of agreed-upon moral standards. As Mr. Brooks stated in that um, New York Times article about... Um, bowling alone, oh, our kids from Robert Putnam. He said, quote, people sometimes wonder why I've taken this column in a spiritual and moral direction. It's in part because we won't have social repair unless we are morally articulate, unless we have clearer definitions of how we should be behaving at all levels, unquote. Yet, of late, we've seen a rapid decline in morality, um, precisely because of this general refusal in the church, even, and out, to define morality and to stick by the standards. I mean, it must be acknowledged that in order to function effectively, society needs to have moral standards, and these standards need to be agreed upon. So where does one 
obtain a moral standard? Well, they all originally came from God. Now, I, un- I know that at no time in any era and at no place on the earth did all people ever agree on the truth. But enough people agreed so that the people who wanted to breach the standards felt pressure to conform, at least superficially, to the standards that the bulk of society lived. Now, no one agrees upon even the basic morality, such as what is marriage or what is a gender or um, protecting our children from perversity. Now it's just a free-for-all. But failure to, quote, judge, unquote, more immoral behavior in the church angers Jesus and failure to set a moral standard and stick by it um, in the face of a secular society angers Jesus. And that was a problem in Corinth. Paul charged the Corinthians for failing to specifically articulate a moral standard about incest and adultery. A man had his father's wife, and all the church and the pagans knew it. It was a scandal, 1 Corinthians 5.1. But the Corinthians, quote, did not judge. And the problem grew into a huge scandal, and what it did was destroy the church's witness. Failure to live by Christian boundaries in terms of not just spiritually but morally then leaks out all over, where even the peer pressure to pretend to be moral declines and eventually just evaporates. And the tipping point is reached where no one stands up for any moral standard at all. Everything or anything is deemed good and acceptable, or at least protected because it's your truth, even if it's not my truth. We are called, though, to be a holy people, so as to be pure for Jesus and to be an example to the people of the world. Romans 11, 13 to 16, 1 Corinthians 10, 33. For example, a young Christian lady who chooses to remain a virgin is committing a moral act, and she is all the brighter for the darkness that surrounds her. A married Christian man who does not look at porn or who does not tell dirty jokes at work is committing a moral act. He's staying on one side of a moral line. Couples who stay together and don't divorce are performing a radical moral act and these have consequences and these have these are viewed and known by people who look on in a healthy society morality is comparatively thick um, this is from public agenda archives quote one consequence of the cultural revolution of the 60s was a weakening, a thinning out of social morality. And the result was that the standards of right and wrong are reduced to a minimalist test of whether an action is even is legal. Well, this is an unthinkable de- degradation of standards from the America of earlier periods. When society assumed that an individual's moral responsibilities 
was more than just observing a law. The decline in social morality and the rise of um, legalism is evident. End quote. This is from Public Agenda Archives. So Christians who speak out against sins, who have a moral standard about fornication, homosexuality, divorce, gossip, anger, fiscal irresponsibility, are doing Christ's work by pointing to his moral lines that he has set. And further, as Robert Putnam said in his book, Our Kids, we need a moral vocabulary. In the Christian world, call sin as sin, not a mistake or a mess or a stumble. It's up to us to set the lines, protect the vocabulary, and judge immorality. Because we know where the lines are, and we have a duty to our um, the ultimate moral standard, who is Jesus. So takeaways, we Christians have an absolute line. It doesn't move and it doesn't change with the culture. Share where that line is. Call sin what it is. Use that word. Call it out in the church. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira were killed by Jesus on the spot for being hypocrites and liars. And all who heard of it feared greatly, and the church actually grew. Acts 5, 1 to 10, and Acts 6, 1. Paul opposed Peter to his face, Galatians 2, 11. Peter called out Simon the magician and exhorted him to repent, Acts 8, 20. Next, we should live morally in the world. And we should hold to the moral lines that the Lord has set out. We are meant to be a light and our own sin and our own non-judgmental tolerance doesn't help anyone. Tolerating sin just dims our light. Non-judgmentalism, the judge not crowd, you know, this has a cost. Yes, we are living in a time that's really bad, morally speaking. Maybe even worse than the well-known immorality of the Corinthians. Pastor Phil Johnson thinks so. I think so too. I think it's worse than Corinth. We're living in a time worse than Corinth. But as Mr. Brooks said in his review of Putnam's book, Our Kids, the health of a society is primarily determined by the habits and virtues of its citizens. They were destroyed by a plague of non-judgmentalism, which refused to assert that one way of behaving was better than another. End quote. And Proverbs 2, 1 to 2, and 9 and 10 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, and inclining your heart to understanding, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Thank you for listening 
And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.